morning, family church. I have an underlying prayer for this message. Um, I didn't know quite what the word was until this morning, um, but I had been praying for our church, and I felt like the Lord really gave me a glimpse of this one word um, earlier this week, and, and we're going to get to that. Uh, this is the second half of a sermon. It was originally one on Psalms 24. So if you have a copy of God's Word, turn with me to Psalms chapter 24. And we looked at verses just 1 and 2 on a sermon on stewardship two weeks ago. And I covered three areas out of four. And this morning we're going to be touching on that fourth area. But beginning in verse 1 in Psalms 24, it says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof in the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. The earth is the Lord's. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. Those who dwell on the earth are the Lord's as well. And I wanted to be very practical in these two verses that if we believe these things, our lives as believers in Jesus Christ should be very differently. We should live our lives differently. And we looked at a couple of areas. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We already read it this morning as a church. Verses 19 through 20. Regarding our body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I had several people come up to me really feeling convicted, the Holy Spirit speaking to them, knowing that they have been bought. And they said, man, the implications of that in my life, I know there's some things that I need to stop putting into my body, taking into my body, substance-wise, thought-wise, just the Holy Spirit convicting them to know that that's something they need to put off and put on some areas of righteousness. I discussed spouse and children. That do we see our spouse as something God has given us that we are steward over, that we're taking care of, pointing them to the Word? What about our children? If God was going to come back and, and specify a date in the future for our children or our grandchildren and say, hey, I'm going to show up and see how that blessing I've given you in your life, how you're doing with that. What have you been teaching them about me, their Savior? I mean, if we had that perspective, the Lord was going to show up a month from now, six months from now, and ask what we've been doing in the lives of our children that he's allowed us to have, or our grandchildren. I think we all, including myself, would be much different in our parenting and grandparenting. Regarding time, Psalms 90 verse 12 I preached on says to teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. We're wise when we understand our time is limited here. Regarding our possessions, we see Psalms chapter 24, but also 1 Timothy 6 and 7 says we brought nothing into the world so we cannot take anything out of it either. The word that I want us to pray this morning, and I want us to pursue being, is the word spent. Paul talks about this word. He talks about being poured out as a, a drink offering, a love offering, giving his life. He later talks about being spent. Now, this is something that, unless you're a follower of Christ, nobody prays this prayer. I mean, nobody wants to come home spent, right? I mean, the rest of the world is praying opposite of that. Lord, 
don't spend me. I don't want to be spent. I want to come home from work and feel refreshed and rejuvenated. I want relaxation. I want time off. I want to feel fulfilled. But as believers, we're actually called to something else. We're called to be spent. But not spent for meaningless things, but spent for godly purposes. And I really felt like the Lord really gave me a blessed day this past week over and above the usual blessings because I was able to really be spent for him. And I came home and I told my wife, she asked how my day was. You know, some days I come home and done a lot of ministry stuff, but I don't really feel like I accomplished very much eternally speaking. Like maybe study stuff. I mean, that's eternal. Maybe putting together some papers or packets or but some days are, are more significant, they feel like, than others. And this particular day, I went to bed at 11.30 the night before because we had a, a ministry meeting here at the church. For those of you who are in that meeting, it was a very tough meeting. And it, and it went for, from 8 o'clock until 11.30. And I, I went home, happened to wake up, go to men's ministry the next morning at 7 a.m. I didn't sleep well because of how the meeting went. I think everybody in the meeting, they said, didn't sleep well. Uh, and then I had a full day of back-to-back meetings, one after another. And I just came into my office already spent. And I said, Lord, this day has to be yours. You know, and that's, that's really, you know, the way the days are supposed to happen. You come in and you're already spent. God, give it, I give it all to you. I'm spending all this time in prayer and worship, and I, I did that that day more than other days, knowing that unless he helped me through this day, it was going to be a nightmare. And that day, back-to-back meetings, was one of the most profitable ministry days I've had in a long time. And, And I came home exhausted and spent, but rejuvenated and excited and joyful about the significant impact that was made in the lives of others and in my life by the ministry that happened. That's what I want for all of us this morning, to be spent regarding our body, to be spent regarding our possessions, our time, what we do with our children. And today, we're talking about the other part of stewardship I didn't get to last time, finances. To be spent for the Lord's purpose. So would you pray with me this morning for God to help spend us for His purposes? God... We come to you this morning. Help us to be spent for you. God, help us to put our time and efforts in areas that are going to matter a hundred years from now when we stand before you. God, help us to be spent. Help us to pursue what that means. That we're not just doing meaningless things that take our time and energy away, but, but whenever we do eternal things, God, like what we see in your word. God, I pray that for each and every one of us. I pray that this morning we may pursue to be spent for you. It's a prayer not many pray in this world, but it's where significance and eternal value come from. God, we give you today. May you speak to our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Starting off, I have two areas I wanted to share some areas here at the church where you can be spent. A lot of times we, we want to do evangelism. We want to learn how to bring people to Christ, and we're not sure what to say because we feel like somebody else may know more. I don't know enough about the Bible, or I'm not that mature of a Christian, but I want 
you to know here in our own church, we have children right next door who don't yet know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, who need that and are here as open books ready to learn about God and His Word, and we don't have enough workers to do that. That's an area where you're probably more mature than a first grader or a second grader in your faith. And we need men and women of God in all areas of our children's ministry here on a Sunday morning where you can be spent by just giving up a Sunday morning. And I want you to think about that. Think about the eternal impact in the commitment. You know, of course, that would be rather than sitting here and listening to the sermon live, you can maybe watch it later in the week, but you had some impact on the lives of children. That's one area out of many that we have available here at the church. Another area is March 23rd. Maybe you've seen this flyer, and then there's also going to be a sign-up table afterwards, but we as a church are wanting to provide a free catered lunch to every single teacher and educator, teachers, administrators, support staff in the schools here on Marco Island. That's up to 120 people that we as a church want to reach out to them Whenever they're at school and they're doing teacher planning, when no kids are in school, we want to provide a meal for them here at the church. This is going to take us as a church a massive effort. And so we have a lot of different teams that we need. This is eternal stuff where you can be spent for the Lord's purposes on setting up tables, being a waiter, even doing laundry, the tablecloths, dishwashing crew, food prep crew. These are ways how you can be involved in eternal purposes. What if people come to know Christ just because you helped set a table? Those are the things that I want us to be pursuing and what it means to do ministry. This morning, I want to focus on this last portion of the stewardship, which is the area of our finances. If God owns it all, everything in the earth and the earth and those who dwell on the earth, that means he owns all of our finances as well. And not a day goes by when we don't get in our car and start it that it's costing money. We flip a light switch, it's costing money. We write a bill, costing money. We go out to eat, right, costing money. Some of you are already stressed even just thinking about this. But I want us to have a different perspective on our finances. So let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I, I want to get into saying that because I've had a couple of conversations with some people and, and they're like, I don't even know where that book is. Can you sometimes just help us out? Or I don't know who that person is. And we're at all different levels here. So Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. I want us to take a look at that passage. says this, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. The proper understanding is we only have money because he gave us the ability to produce it. He's given us the ability. Some he's given that greater ability than others. I think all of us are very blessed here being able to either visit down on Marco or live on Marco Island. But some of you, he's given even a greater ability to produce larger amounts of wealth. That's a special gifting, a special ability that he's given you. And I, 
from my perspective of talking with people down here, it seems I think all of us, like maybe we're here percentage-wise of income in the world, but we consider ourselves down here. I mean, I've talked with millionaires, and they'll say something from time. I, I'm, not too, I'm not too well off. Or, well, I'm not rich, and it's like they're comparing themselves, you know, to Warren Buffett or something, billions of dollars, trillions of dollars. We need to all understand we have been given so, so much. And it seems America is always pushing for more and more and more. And we forget that the Lord is the one who gave us those abilities. It says remember because we often forget. We think, I put in the 60 hours, the 70 hours, the 80 hours. It was my blood, sweat, and tears that created this company. I'm the one who did that. I bought at the right time and I sold at the right time. That's our natural mindset. But we all forget that it was the Lord behind the scenes who he's saying, but I gave you that ability. I gave you that wisdom. I gave you that discerning when to sell and when to buy. I gave you the strength to go to bed at night and I'm the one who gave you rest so you could wake up at 5 a.m. and go to work. If I didn't give rest, you wouldn't be able to do that. Deuteronomy says, remember, he's the one who gave you that ability. And we so often forget here. Regarding living on Marco, I kind of want to address a couple of things. In America, we consider wealth a benefit, a blessing. But almost every time we see it in Scripture, wealth is not put in that light. It's actually put majority of times as, as a cursing, something to be fearful of. It's dangerous. And I want us to look at that this morning. Now, with that statement, I probably lost 99% of the world, you know? I mean, I've thought whenever I've met people who are very well off, what would I do with that much money? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I think we've all had thoughts like, well, I got lots of ideas. You know, that's not a problem. But what would we do for the Lord with that much money? Is a thought that I've had. I mean, if I just inherited a million dollars, how am I going to make sure that I use that money for God's purposes rather than my own? It gets you thinking. I mean, I've often stopped when I've started thinking about this and prayed, Lord, don't allow me to become wealthy unless you give me the wisdom and ability to manage this money for your glory. That should be a prayer of ours. I don't want money unless you give me the ability to do what I'm supposed to do with it. Because if I get money and I don't have the wisdom, at the end of my life, we're going to stand before the God who gave us the ability and gave us that wealth. And he's going to say, I gave you so much. What did you do with it? And I don't want that much to be held accountable for, right? I mean, the less I have to be held accountable for if I'm being a good steward. And so there's the temptation there of having money that we're going to look at shortly. There's a temptation there of spending it on myself or spending it on things I want rather than the Lord. I don't want us, church, to fall into a greater judgment because of a blessing of finances, because we decide to use it for ourselves rather than the Lord at the end of the day. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, many of you know the story of the rich young ruler, beginning in verse 17.
Beginning in verse 17, it says, And he, Jesus, was setting out on his journey. A man ran up and knelt before him. Listen already to the story. The man runs up to Jesus, kneels before him. What is that signifying? That he knows who Jesus was. He knelt before him in person, on his knees, before the Lord, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. And he listed off the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And then the man said to him, Teacher, I've kept all of these things from my youth. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Now we know from the Sermon on the Mount that it says in Matthew 5, Anyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has committed adultery already with her in his heart. I mean, it's not just doing or not doing. It's actually the intention of the heart. So Jesus knew this man really didn't keep all these commandments, but he was trying to justify himself. And he said, I've kept all those things. What else do I need to do? So Jesus looked at him, says he loved him. And then he told him some of the hardest words he's ever heard. You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have your treasure in heaven. And then come and follow me. The man, verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. That should be a fearful, scary passage for us. That money can have so much of an impact in our life. That this money was damning to him to hell. Because he knew the Savior, he ran up, he knelt before him, and he said, Teacher, what must I do? And he was given clear direction, and he wouldn't do it because he was so in love with his money. Now, a lot of times people hear, God doesn't want you to be rich, he wants you to be poor. That's not what this is saying. God doesn't want your stuff and your money to own you. He wants you to use it for the purposes he gave it for us for. And this man went away sad because he couldn't do that. It was an idol in his life. What danger it should be. We should, we should have a healthy fear, a reverence, and a respect for finances, for possessions and stuff. Because it is a temptation ready to grab us. That's how we should look at some of these things. The more he gives us, the more we're held accountable for. So we need to be wise and vigilant. Remember the Lord your God. For he gives you the ability to produce wealth. I encourage you, church, find ways to use your body. Find ways to use your time, your resources in glorifying him. That only covers one side of the equation. That's the income portion. We still have the expense portion and the giving portion of this. Here in just a couple of weeks, months, we're going to do a Dave Ramsey Financial Peace University class. Dave is going to talk at length about the expense area. So I'm not going to cover that this morning. I do encourage you to come out. I know my wife and I took this in high school. We took it in college and we became teachers in the class. And it greatly benefited us. Hugely benefited us. And so whether you're middle school, high school, college, adult, 40s, older, everybody. encourage you to come benefit from this class in the upcoming week. But I want to move on to the giving portion of this equation. We have, we have the income, expenses, but let's move on to the giving portion. And I want to use a story from Amanda and I's own life from the 2014 year. 
Beginning each year, uh, this is something we learned at a younger age for her, but in high school for me about giving, about tithing to the church. Tithe comes from the Old Testament where it means traditionally 10%. The first fruits we give to the Lord of our income. So we set out the beginning of each year, we're going to decide as a family how much we're going to give to the Lord in his local church. So we set out an amount. Well, we got our giving statement back at the end of 2014, only to find that this is the amount we set, and this is the amount we actually gave. It's like half, okay? And I'm a pastor here, okay? And so we thought we were giving, and anytime we missed something, we would go back and make it up, but clearly that wasn't the case. And so our initial thought was, hmm, I thought I gave more, you know? And then the slight second thought many of us may have is, I'll do better next year, right? If you've ever underestimated your taxes to the IRS, that's never a thought you have, right? I'll do better next year, okay? Well, some people have had that thought, but we shouldn't have that thought. We should follow through with that. So Amanda and I thought, what do we need to do? We didn't do this intentionally. We thought we were giving systematically to reach our goal, but at the end of the year, we find out we didn't. The church ended in the black. You know, things went well. We could have easily said, hey, we'll, we'll just be more faithful next year. But we felt like we had withheld from the Lord. We said we were going to do this, and we didn't. So we ended up writing what was a big check to us and just say, Lord, it's yours. I can say immediately after that, immediately after that, one thing we said, we've, we've had a one car for our family for the past couple of years. We, we said we, we weren't going to get another car unless we found an incredible deal we couldn't pass up. But right after we gave, I got an email from somebody in the church said, hey, there's a car for sale from one of my clients. They're moving up north, older couple. It's a great car. You interested? And I looked at the price. I'm like, what's wrong with this car? Does it have a motor? Does it work? You know? And they said, yeah, it works. It only had 36,000 miles on it. The new car to us is like 80,000, 90,000 miles on it, okay? And so I said, yeah, I would love to go look at it. Looked at it, it was like practically brand new, 36,000 miles on it. I told them, hey, yeah, I would love the car. Made an offer for the amount that they asked for it, and they said, sorry, we already have another offer from a friend upstairs in our condo here, and so we're going to sell it to them for the higher offer. And I left saying, you know, Lord, it's, it's all up to you. We always said we... If you want us to have the car, we'll, we'll get the car. Well, next couple of days, I got a call back from them. And they said, we decided we want to go with your offer, even though they were offering more. I mean, how does that, who, who does that, right? We're, we're going to go with you, the lower offer, rather than the higher offer. I mean, all I can say is God is faithful, church. You can't outgive God. This rich young ruler by selling everything, that, was, that would have been nothing compared to what he got in return. And so Jesus is always conter- concerned about our heart. Where is our heart in this? We need to be faithful stewards of these things. We can't outgive God. You can trust in that. In our men's ministry group, they meet here Thursday morning at 7 a.m. They've been going through this book, Don't Waste Your Life, by John Piper. And one of the quotes in there that I want to read was by a pastor by the name of Robert Murray McChain. He was a Scottish pastor. He died in 1843. He only lived, I didn't know this, until the age of 29. 
Seven years into ministry, he passed away. But he was faithful. If the name sounds familiar, it's because here at the church, we follow his Bible reading plan he created in just a few years of ministry. But before I read the quote, I want us to ask the Lord to prepare our hearts to hear the quote. Because when I read it, man, it, it was a tough thing. And this is what he told his congregation regarding giving. He said this to his church, I am concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. Thought about that for a while. He goes on and says, To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart. An old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none of it away. Enjoy it quickly, for I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. That's what he told his church. And if that is true, that was some of the most loving thing he could tell them. Because we are. It is true. We will be held accountable as believers with what we've done or not done. And it is. He said, an old heart would rather part of its blood than its money. This is exactly what we saw in Mark where this rich young ruler would rather die eternally and spiritually rather than part with some of his finances. I don't want us to be in that category, church. So does his quote that he shared with his church actually hold water today? That was 150 years ago in Scotland. What, is it, what about today? What about in our church? What about in the church in the world? Well, I did some interesting fact-checking and came up with some startling figures of stewardship in the church today that I want us to be aware of. Now, Terry and I don't know what people give. And I say this because we want you to know that we don't want to look at people as dollars and cents. We want to look at people as God has placed you here, and we are pastors. We're entrusted to care for the spiritual sake of your souls. And so we want to stay away from the temptation of knowing who gives what, when, and how often. So I don't know how faithful or not faithful you are as givers. That's, that's my point. But speaking of stewardship in the church in America, it says 80% of Americans only give about 2% of their income. That includes all giving, whether it's to the Humane Society or the church, okay? 80%, only 2% 2 of their income. Within the church, so this is specifically in the church, Bible-believing church, 33 to 50% of church members not just attenders, but those who have committed themselves to that church body, 33 to 50% of church members give nothing. For most who do give, they give roughly 2.5%. That's the overwhelming amount for those who do give. That's lower than what Christians gave during the height of the Great Depression here in America, when people didn't even have food in the cupboards. That percentage is lower than what people gave at that point in time. This next fact was startling. For Christian families making less than 20000 a year, 8% of those families gave at least 10% in tithing to their local church. So they make 20000 a year, but they gave at least 10%. 8% of those people did. 
for families making 75000 the figure drops to just 1%. So you have people making less amount, giving more percentage, and when they move up to 75000 or more, that percentage goes down to actually 1% or less giving in the church. Now, I want us to look at what actually would happen if the church of Jesus Christ actually gave just even the Old Testament minimum, let alone in the New Testament we see people gave more than that. But if the church raised the 25 to 10%, I want us to, to look at what it would do. $165 billion would come in to the church for the purposes just of kingdom work. I want to break that down of what estimates, estimates have been done about that number. $25 billion of that would relieve global hunger, starvation, and death from preventable diseases in the world in five years. $12 billion would eliminate illiteracy in five years in the world. $15 billion would solve the world's water, sanitation issues. $1 billion would fully fund all Christian mission efforts around the world. And then we would still have in the church 100 to $110 billion extra for ministry purposes around the world. That's just the 2.5% up to the 10% if believers began doing that. Jesus said all the time, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Many times I know in churches people are hesitant, pastors are hesitant to talk about money. It's almost like the thing, if you talk about this, I will leave. We've heard that. If you talk about that, and I I want to warn anyone who has that mentality, or if, if your heart right now is so tightened about money, make sure you're not the rich young ruler. It's not an idol because the Lord gave us these things, not because he wants us to not have money. He gave us these things because he doesn't want our money to have us. And he wants us to store up treasure in heaven where we're going to spend eternity. We need to have a right perspective of how we do this thing, why we do this. He spoke to us about money so often in the word. We can't pick and choose. I'll take some of this. I'll take the blessing. I'll take some of that. I'll take a little bit of understanding my sin, but finances, possessions, tithing, giving, I'm going to leave all that out. And that's what's done many times. I want to transition slightly here regarding finances here at the family church. And I want to talk about something that we've seen that we would like to begin making some changes to. We want to implement a change to this area. And it's regarding passing the offering plates. We just did it a little while ago. Most churches pass an offering plate However, it's a relatively new concept found in the church. And to begin with, passing the plates sometimes can be very awkward. Okay? Maybe you give online. And week after week, you don't put anything in the offering plate. I know that sometimes that that happens to us. Or maybe you invite somebody, and they're not a believer. They're already hesitant to come to church. And then you pass them a plate. And they don't see that this is a worship and a joy to give back to the Lord. They see it as an obligation and out of guilt that you have to give. Well, that's one, one way that we're looking at, at uh, passing the plates, one fact about it. But another one, more importantly, is what does God's word actually say about taking an offering, about finances? 
We see this in Matthew chapter 6. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. We're just going to read the first couple of verses because this is what's most important, what God's Word actually says about how our giving should be done in the church. It says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we're a church that desires to be obedient to the Word of God. And one area that we feel we can become more obedient into is transitioning away from passing the offering plates to a couple of other methods that we feel like will accomplish this goal of kind of private giving a little bit better. It'll be more personal between you and the Lord where people won't be able to see it. One of those ways is online giving. Online giving is available. It's done in private. We don't, I know for my wife and I, we don't encounter the same problem we had last time where we forget, but it's something you and your family can do together, and it's automatic. Another one is by offering boxes. We have two in the sanctuary here, one out in the foyer and one on the, this hallway. These boxes are all under lock and key. You can come, you can put a comment, a question, any type of sign-up form from the Connect card, but you can also put your tithes and offerings in those boxes when you come into church. It's private, and we really feel like that it would help all of us become more obedient to that, and it would become more of a personal thing between you and the Lord. So we would ask that as we begin to kind of transition away from passing the plates, that you go ahead and begin implementing one of these two ways so that we as a church over the next weeks and months can begin transitioning away from passing the offering plate. We're still going to have a time of prayer over the offering. And I know I've heard it before, and maybe some of you are having the thought, I know from church strategy people, they've, they've told us, if you stop doing that, you're going to miss out on some money. That's what they've, they've said. So many churches are unwilling to transition away because somebody's going to be there who would put money in who likewise wouldn't because they don't know about the boxes. And to that, we want to say we don't miss out on anything as God's people. We don't miss out. We don't miss out on a couple of bucks because it's all the Lord's, right? And so even if we do miss out on a couple of dollars, if it's in exchange for us as a church becoming more healthy and, and more in following God's command of making the offering time something more biblical, biblically centered for you and your family, that's something we're willing to do. And so we just want you to know the heart behind why we're doing this. It's because we want your offering and giving time to be intimate, an act of worship, an act of joy between you and your Heavenly Father. I want to read one last thing from the book from the men's ministry group that John Piper shares with us. It's on page 119. 
says this, Oh, how many lives are wasted by people who believe that the Christian life means simply avoiding bad behavior and providing for the family. So there's no adultery, no stealing, no killing, no embezzlement, no fraud, just lots of hard work during the day and lots of TV and PG-13 movies in the evening. Lots of fun stuff on the weekend, woven around church mostly. This is life for millions of people, a wasted life. We were created for more, far more. He goes on to say, No man ever lamented on his dying bed, I wish I had spent more time in the office. The point being made is usually that when you're about to die, money suddenly looks like what it really is, useless for lasting happiness, where our relationships become precious. It's true. Church, we need to understand we have been given, and what we have is only because he first gave it to us. When we have that perspective, we will treat our bodies differently. They were bought with a price. We will treat our family members and our spouse differently because they were given. We will treat our time not as ours, but time given to us. We will treat our possessions as the Lord's possessions that he has entrusted to me. We will treat our finances as a means we can bring glory to God. That is the desire that should be our heart. Jesus did so much for us. It has to focus on Jesus Christ. He gave his life. He gave his time. He took the wrath of God for your sin so that we could live a life to bring glory and honor to him and to the Father. I pray, church, we may be spent for our Savior. I encourage you to think about some of the areas I've shared where you can get involved here. If you want to get more involved or you want to find some ways, you just feel convicted, I want to be used. Come chat with us. We'll come up with some ways how you can be used to bring glory to God. Would you pray with me this morning? God, I pray that we may be a people who are spent for you. God, nothing else matters in this life but bringing glory and honor to you doing eternal things, bringing people into a relationship with you, praying for others, giving of our time, our talents, our finances to spiritual things that are going to have spiritual impact. God, I know we live in the other part of that equation throughout our daily lives. God, help give us the right perspective. Help us as a church and a people be spent for you. God, we pray for the transition of our church, about the offering plates, that that may go smoothly. May it be more glorifying to you. That's our heart's desire. God, you're the one who knows our needs. We trust in you. God, we want to glorify you. I pray for each and every person who's here. May you be with them this week. God, may you help them through the times they're going through. God, help us to love you and to cherish all the many things you've done and given to us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.